And welcome to All Things Billy, COVID edition number two. I'm your host, Michael Anthony Judicici, and I decided to do this episode in the event my voice decides to leave me. I think I've got enough to get through this one, so we'll uh, we'll just do that, <laughs> and then we'll see what the, uh, the future holds as far as COVID goes. Hope you're all doing well today. For me, it's a uh, sunny Sunday afternoon, but who knows when you're listening, whenever it may be. I hope it's great. Uh, so today we're going to continue with our Pals of Billy series, but this one's a little different because this guy uh, was probably a pal of Billy in some way, but he was Billy's boss, actually. And uh, he's the uh, he's the guy that was elected the very first captain of the regulators after the assassination of Tunstall. And his name, Richard Dick Brewer. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Dick Brewer and uh, his life and times and his uh, death at the hands of Buckshot Roberts. And uh, we'll get into uh, all the details that we have. Some things are fuzzy as they usually are, but uh, we'll see if we can't sort it out for you. And all of that will happen after all of this. Okay, we're back. We'll get through this the best way we can if my voice starts to go or I start sniffling too much or crying. Well, <laughs> I guess we'll have to cut it short. Uh, Dick Brewer, captain of the Regulators, first captain of the Regulators. And uh, let's get him started with a birthday of February 19th, 1850, just two days after my son. Now, my son wasn't born in 1850, <laughs> but he was born February the 17th. And so... Uh, Dick, also a February baby, uh, born in St. Albans, Vermont, which is probably about as far away from Lincoln County as you can get. Pardon me, I'm going to be sniffling. Um, So he's the oldest son. His parents are Rensselaer Rensselaer and Phoebe Brewer. Um, And uh, when he's still a young man, uh, they move uh, to Wisconsin. So already they're heading west, uh, you know, when uh, when Dick is a younger guy, a uh, younger kid, rather. And so that probably shapes the pattern for him. I'm sure lots of guys from Vermont made their way to the old and wild west, but it's a lot easier trip from Wisconsin than it is from Vermont. Interestingly enough, when I moved from New Jersey to New Mexico, 1996, I uh, met an inordinate number of people that had come here from Wisconsin and it, oh, not from any other state. I mean, I certainly you met people, but, but the, the concentration of people were from Wisconsin. And I, I said, you know, why, <laughs> like, what's the, what's the attraction? They said, well, have you ever lived through a Wisconsin winter, which I had not, I'd lived through a number of East coast winters, but apparently Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota or worse. And so maybe that's what uh, had Dick, you know, decide, hey, this is for the birds. I'm out of here. I'm seeking some uh, warmer climes. Uh, So uh, my buddy Joseph Lachok says that uh, Dick may have attended Old University of Chicago. And he was, uh, he had a girlfriend or a fiance. That's unclear whether they were actually engaged. But what's uh, not unclear is that uh, Dick's cousin stole the girl away, uh, took her away. She fell in love with him. Uh, 
And, uh, and, you know, you look at Brewer, the one picture that we, you know, for sure believe is him 1875. Good looking dude, right? Good head of hair, you know, nice uh, chiseled features. Looks like he's a strong guy. He was known as, you know, kind of a bigger, stronger guy. So uh, what did this other guy, what did this cousin have that Dick didn't? <laughs> I guess we're not going to know. It's too, uh, it's too far, but that's going to be a, uh, a recurring theme in Dick's life is that he's going to have his eye on, have his heart set on a girl and circumstances are going to get in the way of that. So poor Dick Brewer is not, uh, it's not going to really find any lasting love in what's remaining of his life. Uh, Brewer goes to an 1870. So at 20 years old, he moves to Carthage, Missouri and starts to work on a farm. Um, and of course, you know, you're in Missouri. That's the, the, uh, you know, you're, you're at the gateway, right? St. Louis is the gateway to the West. <clears throat> so you're hearing about all these people that are coming, uh, from the West and, you know, making back through to the East. So I'm sure those stories have to impact Brewer. You know, it's, there's excitement, there's some danger, there's opportunity. And a 20 year old guy, we've talked about this a number of times with Billy, you know, there's, there's not a lot of times there's really no plan. There's no, uh, you know, mechanical or, you know, very uh, detailed, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. There's no five-year plan. There's just, hey, that sounds good for now, so I'm going to go. So uh, early 1870s, at some point, Brewer makes his way to Lincoln County, New Mexico. And uh, he uh, was a farmer in Missouri, so he uh, establishes a ranch. Now, I would say it would be a farm because a farm and a ranch are two different things. Ranch raises stock, a farm raises crops. Uh, maybe both, uh, because we know Brewer did run some cattle and certainly had some of his own horses. Uh, but he's farming somewhere on the uh, Rio Ruidoso. Now, I did double check with Brandon Dixon, a local expert on Billy the Kid down in Ruidoso, and the Brewer Ranch that sits outside of Lincoln right now, about, I'm, I'm going from memory here, you know, maybe two miles, mile, two miles. To the east of Lincoln, right on Highway 380, is not Dick Brewer's ranch and has nothing to do with him. Just total happenstance that the owners happen to be, happen to have the same name, Brewer. So uh, don't go there and knock on their gate, or worse yet, drive up the road if the gate's open, expecting to see some historical regulator's site, because that ain't it. Uh, so leave, leave those, leave the brewers be. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, he gets this ranch farm and he finances it through the house of Murphy and Dolan. And you know that they're, uh, you listen to the Drew Gomber episode. They were very uh, generous in giving out loans. They certainly were very usurious uh, in their interest rates. Um, but they didn't do a great job of <laughs> of collecting on their debts because they were damn near bankrupt by the time the uh, Lincoln County war broke out. If they had run such a great business, uh, mercantile, uh, you know, uh, running uh, cattle and the beef contracts, if they had run that prosperously, they might not have had to kill Tunstall. They might not have seen him as a threat. They might've said, Oh, you know what? There's a, Cause there were other stores in Lincoln, by the way, the Montano store, the Ellis store, um, the, the, you know, so it's not like Tunstall came in and Murphy and Dolan said, oh, no one can oppose us. There were people opposing them from a, you know, retail a merchant standpoint already. 
But uh, in any event, they did not run a great <laughs> operation. And so, uh, but Dick fell into debt. And uh, he meets a girl, sound familiar? Uh, and Carolina, Carolina, I think it's Carolina Fritz. I would call her Carolina because it has a more European flair. And uh, he likes her, which is great. <laughs> and he uh, gets to know her a little bit. And he's, you know, romantically interested in her, at least by all reports. But what's going to happen to Dick very soon is going to prevent him from having any longer of a relationship with her. And Carolina or Carolina Fritz is later going to marry Jimmy Dolan, son of a bitch, that little weasel. So uh, Dick is farming, ranching. He's in debt. And John Tunstall shows up, uh, 1876, late uh, 76, if memory serves. Um, and uh, early spring of 1877, he is uh, on his own, Tunstall's on his own ranch on the Rio Feliz on 4,000 acres uh, on land that used to be owned by the Casey family, the widow Casey and her uh, children. Add, add Casey. That's the one I can remember. Robert Casey. I can't remember them all. Um, but in any event. So uh, there's also a deal made because uh, the widow Casey is deeply in debt. And so McSween kind of as an intermediary goes and says, hey, we'll, we'll loan you uh, five bucks per head on your cattle and uh, you can pay off your debts. But she was never going to be able to pay off her debts. The five bucks was, you know, just maybe just barely enough to pay him back. But how would she ever buy the cattle back? Um, and so that's a way that Tunstall was able to add to his herd um, through that. Uh, Brewer becomes Tunstall's foreman and uh, in a number of instances tracks down thieves. You know, cattle rustling, pretty it's like stealing cars now. A uh, pretty common occurrence uh, in, that, in that age and in that area. And because cattle were currency, I mean, they weren't money, but you that they were worth money and they were traded. They were a regular staple. And so uh, it's not as easy as stealing money. <laughs> you know, and, and, but easier than stealing cars because <clears throat> you could steal 200 cattle with, I don't know, five or six cowboys, but you couldn't steal 200 cars unless you hijacked a, you know, one of those ships that's coming into port from Japan or somewhere. So somewhere in between cash and cars are, <laughs> are cattle and uh, they were easy enough to steal. And you had these very remote areas, ranches, out on the range where it's not like somebody was watching. There's no webcams up there. So you can keep a look on what's going on. Uh, and uh, so uh, frequently Tunstall's cattle would be raided and uh, Brewer along with uh, some of the other hired men uh, or whoever he could raise as a posse would go and chase them down. So uh, we're, we're, we're here, we're in Lincoln County. Dick's got his own place on the Rio Ruidoso. He is, foramining for Tunstall and probably thinks, hey, you know what? I got to keep chasing these guys down. Yes, it's kind of a dangerous area, but this is what I heard about when I was in Carthage, Missouri, and this is kind of the lifestyle I want. And so I, I, you know, I got some good friends, Charlie Bowdry, Doc Skurlock. This is not a bad place. I got a girl that I like. Maybe I can marry her. I think Dick Brewer at that point is looking at life and going, this could be my place for a while. 
And so I'm going to stick it out. But there are storm clouds on the horizon. And uh, one of those storm clouds is named Jesse Evans. And we'll talk about how Jesse really reshaped the uh, trajectory of Dick Brewer's life right after this. All right, we're back in Lincoln County with Dick Brewer, foreman of John Tunstall's ranch. Got his own spread. He's got a girl. He's got some money in his pocket. Life's pretty good. But things don't don't always stay good as they as they happen have to happen in current day too. Um, a Tunstall hires on a number of people. Brewer actually as the foreman, and they bring in Robert Woodman, Sam Corbett, uh, uh, McSween. You know, as the advisor, Godfrey Goss. Corbett becomes the uh, at working at Tunstall's store uh, at some point. So the Tunstall starts to have some success, right? The store's going up, it's opening, there's goods being shipped in there. He's running cattle, his herd is growing. Um, Jimmy Dolan is already on the ropes financially. Murphy uh, has got cancer and uh, is not going to last very much longer anyway. So on the night of September 18, 1877, Tunstall's not in Lincoln, um, uh, or not at the ranch, and uh, Jesse Evans and his gang, the boys, the banditti, uh, including Billy Bonney, uh, on behalf of Dolan, stole, uh, go and steal horses from Dick Brewer, from his neighbors, Doc Skurlock, Charlie Bowdry, and a team of horses from Tunstall. Now, Billy the Kid stole horses from Dick Brewer, Charlie Bowdry, Doc Skurlock, John Tunstall. He was part of the gang that did it. He may have been the one that went into the corral and threw a rope around their neck. So, yes, I understand what will come later will um, kind of reshape his life. But important that you understand that, you know, he directly... You know, there was no loyalty at that point to the Tunstall cause. But Brewer gets Skurlock and Bowdry together. They try to track the horses down. Eventually, they uh, track them um, <clears throat> at Shed's ran- to the Shed's Ranch uh, on the east side of St. San Augustine Pass. It's in the Oregon Mountains. That's way down by Las Cruces and La Masia. And the... Uh, The Oregon Pass is, uh, or San Augustine Pass. I wonder if that's the same, if it's the Oregon Pass or San Augustine, because we used to drive down there to go do triathlons at White Sands Missile Range, and there's a, it, the road runs in front of the area where uh, Pat Garrett was shot and killed. It's it's pretty well off the road, but it's a long straight road, and it just climbs and climbs and climbs and climbs forever until you hit this pass, and it's all downhill on the backside. But in any event. I digress. They find the horses there. Jesse Evans is there and uh, Brewer rides in and says, hey, these are the horses you stole. We want them back. Evans says no, but seems to admire the pluck of Brewer and says, you can have your own horses back, but you're not getting Tunstall's. And Brewer responds, and this is a quote, but who knows where the quote came from. If you can't give me the Englishman's, you can keep all and go to hell. Uh, So kind of interesting 
that Brewer was a brave dude coming from Vermont, uh, you know, probably not having to face down a lot of uh, bandits in Vermont. Uh, Brewer realized what his job was, and it was his stock, but he was also hired to protect Tunstall's. And it says he rode in alone. You know, where were, where were Doc and Charlie? I'm sitting in the back there kind of going, oh, hey, Jesse, pal. But clearly at this point, you know, now Billy Bonney becomes known. He's worked in the past purportedly for Bowdry and Scurlock at their cheese factory over near the Arizona border. I really want my own cheese factory. But um, now they see him again. So this is obviously a kid they knew. I wonder what the conversation is like. Like, hey, that's that kid that worked for us. What the hell are you doing stealing our horses? Or, hey, Billy, what's up, pal? (laughs) I, I can't imagine if Billy stole, was part of the gang that stole their property that they just said, hey, good to see you, buddy. You know, give him the knuckles or a high five or something. There's gotta be some harsh words there. But I wonder if that's the point where Billy goes, huh? Look at these guys, pretty brave. They ride in here, three of them against our whole gang, demanding these horses back. They tracked us all the way here. All I did was steal horses and ride along with these guys. I wonder if maybe I'm on the wrong side here. So in any event, they don't get the horses back, but uh, Brewer is appointed deputy constable uh, in order to get a warrant to go out and get those. So Brewer gets some uh, men. They uh, load up on provisions from Tunstall's store. They head to Seven Rivers. Brady, Sheriff William Brady, puts up a slight bit of resistance, um, but he agreed to go along. And on October 12th, 1877, they head down to Seven Rivers. So it's almost a full month later where this goes on. You can imagine. I mean, a month is a long time. It's an entire month that they have to, you know, put all this together so they can go back out and get these guys. It's not like in the movies where they're all standing on the street in the old Western town. Somebody says, we need a posse. And everybody cheers and raises their guns. And, you know, five minutes later, they're galloping out of town. I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was quite like that. Anyway, they, uh, they do find them, and uh, Jesse Evans, Frank Baker, Tom Hill, George Davis, they surrender. And uh, so uh, Brewer's able to retrieve uh, the horses and takes those guys to jail. And this is really the key. Jesse Evans kind of inserts himself into the history of the Lincoln County War because they're thrown in the pit jail. And... Um, Everybody in Lincoln at that point knows the jail's not very secure. They probably also know that Brady is not all that interested in holding these guys. Even if Brady wanted them to go to trial, does he really want the trouble of four guys riding on behalf of Dolan in his jail and then Tunstall's men who arrested them coming in and making sure that Brady uh, is... uh, uh, you know, holding them securely. Like I, I, Brady does not want to be in the middle of this. At least that's what I believe. So they're in the jail. Jesse Evans and uh, company are there. Uh, Tunstall goes to visit them, uh, sends a bottle of whiskey. I think he buys uh, uh, Evans and one other guy a new suit. Um, 
and uh, it was they were in jail for a month. Uh, but on November 17th, a rescue party comes to get them out. And the rescue party, I could just see, <laughs> you know, with all due respect to, to Sheriff Brady, he's in like a really no-win situation here because he kind of owes his life to Dolan and Murphy. And he uh, has guys that are working for him in his jail who admitted and surrendered to the crime. Uh, so he's got to have a tough time. But I imagine that this this uh, this rescue party probably rode from, you know, <laughs> from Brady's Ranch over on the east side of town or somewhere thereabouts. Like they had a wink at Brady as they came into town. So they knock down the door. They get uh, Jesse Evans out. There's no shots being fired. Um, they uh, on their way out, they stop at Baudry's place, Baudry, and uh, they uh, grab a few blankets and a rifle then they go to Brewer's Ranch and they have breakfast and they take uh, some of Tunstall's horses again. They were just in prison for stealing Tunstall's horses, admitting to it, being found guilty and then broken out of jail. And then <laughs> they just go back and steal them again, like the very next day. What I mean, we complain about law enforcement today right in New Mexico, like these judges that just keep letting these career criminals out. Well, it's kind of the same deal here. But they do promise they won't steal from Tunstall again. In any event, Tunstall's horses are returned. And I think that probably gave Tunstall, you know, and, and maybe Brewer some hope. Hey, they sent the horses back. Maybe these guys are okay. Maybe they've had enough. Maybe they don't want a, a war between these two factions, but that would be an unfounded belief if that's what they thought. Um, according to the information I'm reading here, Billy, uh, Billy the Kid, Billy Bonnie, is arrested for having possession of one of Tunstall's horses. So probably at the time they break Jesse Evans out, and then go on this little raid back to Bowdry's and Brewers and Tunstall's. They, uh, they say, uh, you know, the kid stole one of Tunstall's horses and he's arrested, uh, presumably by Brady. And at this point, I got to think, since Billy is on the side of Jesse Evans and Dolan still, although that will shortly end, I've got to think Billy goes, hey, you know, uh, Brady, you know, it's cool, right? <laughs> you know the deal here. But Billy's arrested and he gets thrown in the pit. And Tunstall goes to see him. I would say probably to ascertain, is this guy a threat? What can I learn from him? Who's this young man stealing my horses? You know, everybody else is gone. The rest of the gang is out. But in any event, that's the, uh, the kind of the formative uh, time of the relationship between Tunstall and Billy. And that's where he uh, recommends that Billy be hired on. He uh, gets him uh, out of jail, sends him to Brewer's home to sleep, gets him a new suit, a rifle, a horse. And really, for the first time, Billy's treated like a real adult. I mean, he'd been treated like a real adult by the law and being arrested, but treated with some respect, some kindness, compassion, uh, humanity. And so if you, if you want to uh, believe, I'm not saying you shouldn't, if you want to believe that Billy was 
you know, deeply loyal to Tunstall and swore out vengeance over his body and, uh, you know, wouldn't stop fighting until everyone who killed Tunstall was dead. If you want to believe that, well, it, it really would have all started right then and there in that pit jail. In any event, so Billy goes on the payroll, hired by Brewer, and the war clouds are looming. And when we come back, the Lincoln County War will ignite once more, right after this. And we are back, voices holding out for COVID episode number two, so we'll keep forging ahead here. Okay. Billy has joined the uh, Tunstall Company, Scorlock, Bowdry, Widman, Middleton, you know, all the, all the guys and names you know are working industriously to help Tunstall build his business. But behind the scenes, uh, uh, Jimmy Dolan is not going to, and Johnny Riley are not going to let it happen. They're just not. And so somewhere along the line, you know, we're not going to go through the whole attachment process and the Fritz insurance policy. By the way, Susan McSween did say, I may have mentioned this in another episode in a in an interview much later in life, that Mac McSween used the seventy four hundred and some odd dollars to build their new house. She said it. It wasn't somebody else accusing McSween. His own wife said that the money was used to build their house. That that, that insurance money that wasn't his. Uh, <clears throat> but in any event, it comes to a head on February eighteenth, eighteen seventy eight as Tunstall is shot and killed while driving some horses from his ranch, trying to preserve them at least and take them to Lincoln. Uh, Brewer is there. Brewer is out in front leading the party. And Billy Bonney and John Middleton are in the, uh, in the rear, but uh, are unable to save Tunstall. And uh, they all, nobody witnesses it uh, firsthand because it's off the trail in a grove of trees, but they see Tunstall being ridden off the road and very quickly hear the gunshot and, and then a second one. So it's pretty clear what happened. You know, Tunstall wasn't going to shoot two times and then ride out and go, cheerio, mates, let's go. Because there were three guys that chased him. It would have been a furious gun battle, but there was not even that. And so now Brewer's world is thrown into turmoil. He's got Carolina, Carolina, Lena, Carolina Fritz, who he's sweet on. Still got his ranch. Now he's the foreman of a ranch where the owner's dead. Now, I don't know, would McSween have stepped in to run the ranch? Would McSween have said, hey, you know what, Dick, uh, why don't you run it for me? not just as foreman, but oversee the whole operation. And, uh, you know, we'll find a way to compensate you. If, if this thing didn't descend into outright war, that could have happened. It's still, you know, there's still a chance, but uh, not much later. Uh, the the uh, Blackwater draw happens. So it's uh, March 1st, February 18th, uh, Tunstall's killed. March 1st, 1878, Brewer goes before Justice Squire Wilton, Wilson and is appointed deputy constable. He forms the regulators, Middleton, French, Brown, Frank McNabb, Widman, Bonnie, Bowdry, Skurlock, 
the regulators believe, you know, we're not going to get any justice here from Brady. Hell, he was with the original posse that killed uh, Tunstall. He wasn't there with the sub posse, but Brady was with them. And so they uh, they realized that, you know, they, they're going to have to be their, their own judge, jury, and, and executioner. They searched through Lincoln looking for wanted men. They don't find any, but... At the black border draw, they capture Buck Morton, Frank Baker. Uh, Buck Morton writes that uh, the constable expressed regret that we had given up as he wished not to take us alive. That That's a paraphrase. It may have been the wording may have been a little bit different. The constable was Dick Brewer. Brewer didn't go out to arrest Morton and Baker. When they found them, they went out to execute them. Why didn't they do it right away? Gosh, I don't know. That's a good question. They spend the night at Chisholm's ranch. Probably at that point, they're thinking, hey, maybe there's another way. Can we bring them to another jurisdiction? Can we blah, 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 right? There could be a number of things and they need some time to think it through. So they spend the night at Chisholm's South Spring Ranch, but the next day, Morton Baker and McCloskey are all assassinated on the trail in the Blackwater draw on the way back to Lincoln. And now it's a war. I don't, I don't know. I don't think Jimmy Dolan was going to kill McSween and Brewer and Bonnie. And like, I think they killed Tunstall and they may have thought, Hey, that's enough to scare these guys off. So they're not going to be an issue to us anymore. I don't know if there would have been a war if the regulators didn't retaliate, I'm not saying they shouldn't have. I mean, they, of course they should have done something, but the, the fact that, that three men are killed, one of them who happens to be a regulator, um, McCloskey, uh, you know, certainly uh, sets up the fact that now we're, we're in an active war. We're going to kill people from the other side. And on April 1st, the uh, what I what I've called the biggest blunder in strategy of the entire war happens, and Brewer is not there. He's not with the party that assassinates Brady on the main street of Lincoln. Uh, I you know people could say, hey, he didn't agree with it. I we don't know. There's no documentation of those meetings. Who decided that Brady should be killed? Wasn't mentioned by McSween, but nobody says Brewer stood up at the meeting and said, let's kill Brady. That's a good move. So he does not take part in that, but he doesn't stop it. I don't know that he could have anyway, but he's the con deputy constable. He could have reined his men in maybe and said, hey, we're not doing this. We're going to handle this a different way. But with the whether it be the inf influence of McSween, whether it just be the bloodlust of the men, who, who now hold a, a two-to-one advantage. We'll, we'll, we'll remove McCloskey. We don't really know. Was McCloskey loyal to Morton and Baker? What happened? I'm just going to take him out of the equation. It's now two-to-one, but that's not enough for the regulators. They want to keep going. I don't know why they didn't kill Jimmy Dolan. I mean, Dolan's at the helm of this whole thing. Murphy's dying, cancer, so he's not an issue. But Dolan can't be that hard to find. Go after him. But they didn't. They go after Brady, 
and the tide of the war turns forever. Uh, Brewer, I guess to his credit, since I think it was a tactical mistake, does not take part in the assassination of Brady. Whether he sanctioned it or not, we don't know. But just three days later, the regulators ride to Blazer's Mills for supper, April 4, 1878. And that will prove the very last meal that one Dick Brewer is ever going to enjoy. Talk more about that after this. We're back for the conclusion of the storied life of Dick Brewer. <coughs> Pardon me. So April 4th, 1878, 13 regulators ride to Blazer's Mills. The regulators go inside the uh, Indian Agency's dining room. The Indian Agency is leasing uh, the property from Dr. Blazer for its office. <clears throat> John Middleton stands guard while the other 12 get to eat. I'm sure Mil Middleton would have got a doggy bag or something. Or somebody brings him a turkey leg. Like they can't just leave him there with nothing to eat, right? <laughs> I wonder if he's like looking through the window longingly like, oh man, those mashed potatoes look good. Oh, come on. Give me some of that green bean casserole. Uh, from the South, uh, Buckshot Roberts, Andrew L. Buckshot Roberts has no idea the regulators are there. He sold his ranch. He's seen the trouble. He wants nothing to do with what's going on in Lincoln County. Uh, if I remember right, the amount he was waiting for was $300 a check and he'd be out of there. <clears throat> he goes to the uh, the the uh, the post office, uh, I guess, and he uh, checks to see if there's mail for him, and there's not. So he gets back on his mule. He likes riding mules, and he starts riding out. And then the mail wagon's coming in. So in other words, he goes to the post office. Doesn't there's no mail? As he's riding out, he goes, "Oh wait, there's the mail wagon. Maybe I better go back." Because my check might be on that. Uh, I don't know that anyone has ever um, figured out whether it, the check was on that mail wagon. I wonder. Like, I wonder if that check sat there for months or whatever until his estate was settled, or if it wasn't even on that wagon and it was just a way he'd lost his life going back for nothing. I don't think we're ever going to know that. Um. Roberts has to cross the Tularosa Creek. It's pretty deep. So he's, uh, the rider and the mule kind of have to swim their way across. So uh, Middleton says, hey, we've got somebody coming up here. Says the name, here's the name Roberts and goes, tell, and goes to tell Dick Brewer who's eating. And Brewer says, I've got a warrant for him. Frank Coe has been friends and neighbors with uh, Roberts. And so he says, hey, let me go out and talk to him. Let me go out and get him to surrender. Which would be a really good thing here. No gunfire. Well, I don't know if it would have been a good thing for Buckshot Roberts because of the way the guys were handled on the Blackwater draw, but it would have been good for the regulators. It wouldn't have looked like such a, 
you know, lopsided, uh, you know, assassination or murder, even though it's pretty likely that Robert shot first, even by a millisecond. <clears throat> so uh, they talk for a half hour, Cole, Frank Coe and uh, Roberts, and he keeps telling him, look, just surrender, surrender, you know, I, I, you know, I'm... I'll take care of you. And uh, Robert says, no, 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 no. If I, if I surrender, I'll be killed. What's the point? But, but Co says he was probably the bravest man he's ever seen. Wasn't excited, you know, wasn't uh, nervous, just very calm and matter of fact. And uh, he was not going to, he wasn't going to give up. He was going to go out fighting. And I don't know where the corral is for the, uh, the dining room or the Indian agency. I'm assuming it's near enough by that by this point, Roberts can see, Hey, there's a bunch of horses there. This is not one or two guys inside. I'm not fighting one on three. I'm fighting one on 10, 15, 20, whatever it might be. But nevertheless, I mean, he probably figured at that point, and this is my assumption, I'm not getting out of here alive, right? It's just not going to happen. And there's enough of them. There's a lot of targets there, so I might as well take some to hell with me. Finally, Brewer gets tired of it, and he's worried that uh, that Co will be used as hostage. Maybe Roberts will take him as a hostage and use that to escape. So uh, Brewer asks for some volunteers. Interestingly enough, that when Brewer confronts Jesse Evans over the stolen horses in 1877, he rides forward by himself. And here, he doesn't. I guess maybe he had, you know, he was the commanding officer and he wasn't going to lead his troops into battle. Uh, Bowdery steps first, or steps forward first. Middleton, McNabb, Henry Bound, George Coe, Skurlock, Billy Bonney. I mean, uh, let's see how many guys are there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> eight guys. Volu- There's 13 regulators. One of them's already with Roberts. And Brewer's uh, another one. So only three guys, whoever they may be, I don't want to go back and do the math, decide that they don't want to go. So Baudry, Baudry takes the lead. He walks around and uh, he's, <laughs> uh, he puts his, you know, kind of levels his gun at Roberts and says, throw up your hands. And in the annals of the Old West, maybe never a better line has been spoken. Roberts gets to his feet and says, not much, Marianne. And right then and there, they fire. But let's, what's the not much, Marianne? Well, not much meaning, no, I'm not going to do it. Marianne, uh, you know, is kind of a derogatory, uh, effeminate uh, slang to, you know, imply that Charlie's not much of a man. So, and again, you're Roberts, you see eight guys coming, you know, you're not getting out of that. I don't care how good you are with a Winchester. I think it'll hold 15 rounds, those uh, carbines. But, you know, 15 rounds, you got to hit every guy there in the heart or in the head before they can get off one shot and wound you. And that's not going to happen. But he stands up and insults Charlie Bowdry. Not much, Marianne. So I I, uh, was uh, chatting with Brandon uh, Dick. 
God, I can't even talk Brandon Dixon this morning. And uh, I said, man, somebody should make a shirt like that. That says, you know, in quotation marks, not much Marianne, Andrew, Robert, Andrew, you know, Buckshot Roberts. And so I went online and I, uh, and I, uh, I, I mocked one up. Cause I think it's just like one of that, one of the funniest and bravest things I ever heard. But then I thought, well, this, this could be a trio of shirts the Buckshot Roberts collection. So the first one, he stands up and says, not much, Marianne. The next shirt is a quote from him where he goes, ouch. <laughs> we get shot, ouch. And then the third one, right out of the movie Airplane, would be Brewer. I don't even know her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> so... uh Bowdry and Roberts fire at the same time. Roberts button hits Bowdry's uh, buckle and uh, drops his gun. Like his, his gun hits uh, the ground. Uh, the same bullet ricochets off that because it hits that big metal buckle and into George Coe's uh, gun hand and uh, mangles his trigger finger, which will have to be removed. I remember, I think it was Dr. Ely said, I took a thumb and forefinger off for him after that fight. But it in the pictures I remember um, that uh, George Coe still had his thumb, but maybe not. So if anybody knows, please let me know. Uh, Boundary's bullet finds its mark. It's a gut shot just below the belly, you know, upper groin area. That's fatal. Yeah, I mean, in those days, that's fatal. In these days, it's fatal. Uh, but you know, you you've hit a good amount of stuff right there. Uh, it could be liver, kidneys, uh, small intestine, large intestine, bottom of the stomach. I mean, there's way too much stuff there to get lucky. But uh, as Robert O'Neill said, never shoot a large caliber man with a small caliber bullet. I'm sure it wasn't a small caliber, but it was too small because Roberts is still alive. And Brewer's probably incredulous that this guy is able to stay alive and keep fighting his guys. So he staggers backwards. He's still firing. Hits Middleton, John Middleton in the chest, uh, purportedly a wound that will later in life, substantially later, years later, take his life, complications from that. Doc Skurlock gets hit in the pistol and the, the bullet goes down his leg. The kid is said to be shaved in the arm. <clears throat> There's evidence that uh, Billy makes an attempt to rush Roberts, you know, kind of like they teach in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, close the distance, finish the fight. I don't think Billy was going to choke him out or, you know, throw a Kimura on him, but uh, you had to close the distance and, Roberts either hit Billy in the head or the chest so hard that it knocked, didn't knock him out, but knocked him back enough that he thought, let me get the hell out of here. Like this guy's too much for me. And Billy was still a young man and still you know, pretty slight. Roberts had that old man strength that they talk about. So the regulators now are in disarray. Middleton's hit in the chest. Coe is, you know, got a finger hanging Bonnie's got you know, maybe a you know a little 
shave of a bullet wound. Skurlock's got one down the leg. Like, this guy has inflicted a lot of damage standing out there in the open. So Roberts retreats into Doc Blazer's office, gets a mattress off the bed and throws it in the doorway. Those old mattresses, I'm thinking, are pretty heavy. Like, this guy's gut shot. He's still got enough. I mean, he's fighting on adrenaline, right? But he's got enough adrenaline to to uh, throw it in the doorway uh, to create, you know, kind of a firing pit. He's got no more bullets left in his Winchester. So if he had 15, he used them all. So there's a uh, 45, 70 caliber Springfield on the wall. He finds a box of cartridges, takes that, gets behind the mattress. Brewer is now incensed demanding that Dr. Blazer and anyone else in there bring Roberts out, but (laughs) nobody says they will. Like, who's going to walk into this melee? So Brewer sprints to a footbridge, goes across the creek, and takes a position 150 yards away. Now, I don't know how they know it's 150 yards. Maybe it was measured by somebody much, much later. Frank Coase says it was 125 steps. A step is not a yard, so uh, at least if you're taking – you know, reasonable steps, it's not. But if you're running, it probably is. But anyway, it's a, it's a pretty good a, a pretty good pace. It's not 125 feet, right? It's in the dozens, maybe 100 yards. So you get, need to be a pretty good marksman. Brewer fires uh, at uh, Roberts from behind a pile of logs. And the bullet just, just hits the, uh, the door casing. Roberts still has his wits about him, and he sees where the puff of smoke from Brewer's gun comes, and he's patient, and he waits there. He can tell, you know, that somebody's back in that spot, so he keeps his eye on it. But, you know, at that distance, you have to adjust a little bit based on the velocity, the barrel velocity of your weapon. You've got to be able to adjust a little bit, and, uh, you know, you don't aim right at the target, but you got to aim slightly whichever, slightly higher, slightly left, slightly right. Um, Brewer pokes his head up. And the last thing he sees is that Springfield roar. Roberts pulls the trigger. Bullet enters. Brewer's left eye leaves a little mark and then blows out the back of his skull. And all that's worldly of Dick Brewer is gone. You can imagine the rest of the regulators. That That's a really poor showing, by the way. Incredible heroic fighting by Roberts. Really inept fighting by the regulators. 13 men. And yes, Roberts did die the next day. But they hit him once. And he had five, at least five casualties of the 13. Pretty crazy. Roberts does die the next day. And rather than take their bodies anywhere, both Buckshot Roberts and Dick Brewer are buried side by side on the property of Blazer's Mills. <clears throat> The uh, he dies uh, until uh, he lives until noon the next day. They dig one big hole for two coffins. Johnny Patton, who's an eyewitness and was there, says he couldn't make a very good coffin. He probably was not probably was not an experienced carpenter, so he built 
built it in the shape of a V, like two individual coffins that were in the shape of a V and no, no footboard. I don't even know why he would build it in the shape of a V. It doesn't even make any sense to me. V for victory? Like, but that's what he says. And he said, you know, it just wasn't very skilled. And so it's like a giant V and one guy's in each leg of the V and their feet are, you know, exposed at the end. And then they're buried side by side for all eternity. Dick Brewer on the left, Andrew L. Roberts, soldier in the Confederate States of America on the right. Now they're, uh, they're, stones and uh, the, the cross for Dick Brewer face straight down. So they don't face in, in any angle as though the guys are buried in a V, but yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's what they did. And that was the end of Dick Brewer. As with all these guys, I think when you talk about them, you go, gosh, they, they had, there were so many chances where they could have had a really good productive life probably lived a long time, had a family, had kids, you know, kind of like Doc Skurlock. Skurlock saw the writing on the wall. It was later, but he did and said, I'm out of here. Not only am I out of here, but I'm never talking about this again. But uh, other guys just couldn't let it go. And so Frank McNabb becomes the next captain of the regulators. And uh, regulators ride off, leaving Dick Brewer to his eternity next to the man that took his life, Buckshot Roberts. Now, I'm not a big believer in the afterlife or any of those things, but imagine they're talking down there. Son of a bitch. How did you see me? Like Roberts is laughing and going, you dumbass. What'd you poke your head up for? What'd you think I was going to do? Why didn't you move 10 feet away? But, uh, you know, Brewer said, man, Carolina Fritz or Carolina, you know, she was really hot. And now Dolan married her. You son of a bitch. You ruined my life. But in any event, the war went on, but it went on without two of the combatants, Buckshot Roberts and Dick Brewer. See you around, Dick. And that is how it ended for the first wave of uh, regulators. The war would uh, obviously go on until July, and this was April. So three more months of fighting, and there would be two more captains, Doc Skurlock, Frank McNabb, and then eventually Billy Bonney would take over whatever was left of the regulators after the war ended. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, if I can get to it, is when you are uh, doing your research, uh, there's times, you know, you know the way Wikipedia works, anybody who signs up with an account and understands the, the, the way to, uh, uh, to submit can add to these articles. But if you read this thing, yeah, this Wikipedia on Dick Brewer, it doesn't really read correctly. Brewer established a bond of friendship with Billy the Kid, Jose Chavez E. Chavez, and the rest of Billy the Kid's gang. And he was often accompanied by gang members. Well, no. <laughs> Billy the Kid's gang, before he joined Tunstall, was the banditti, was the Jesse Evans gang. And those were not guys that Dick Brewer was friendly with. 
we don't know that he established any sort of deep lasting friendship with Billy the Kid. He hired him, but that's kind of it. You know, I've had bosses all over the years that hired me, but they weren't my friends. So, that, I mean, that's really uh, misleading. The next sentence, being one of the founders of the regulators, Brewer sometimes assumed a leadership role when around Billy. Uh, no, actually, he was a uh, legally appointed deputy, const deputy constable. He assumed a leadership position all the time that he was around Billy, and he was his boss. He was the foreman of the ranch. So, again, you know, you could, none of this means anything to the casual Billy the Kid researcher, but it does mean something in the, the annals of history. And it really does, uh, you know, spell out a, a, a mistruth about the about the story. Um, uh, Dick Brewer has been portrayed uh, a few times in movies, but most notably 1988 Young Guns and Brewer, played by Charlie Sheen, brother of Emilio Estevez. <clears throat> uh, and uh, by all accounts, at least in that film, uh, Brewer and <laughs> Billy were not friends. Brewer was mature, wanted to bring these all these guys in with these warrants, and Billy just wanted to go on a killing spree. So, uh, yeah, interesting uh, juxtaposition of those two characters, and we don't really know. Billy never wrote any letters about Brewer, and Brewer never wrote any about Billy. So they probably just worked together, and they probably were just fine getting along with each other, and they probably weren't close, lifelong friends. They, they, you know, all most likely became closer with the killing of Tunstall and then the Blackwater Draw incident. But, you know, close, intimate friends? Eh, I don't know. Probably not. I don't think Charlie Sheen can come back for Guns 3, but I, I bet you if, <laughs> if they could figure it out, he'd want to. They're bringing everybody else back from the dead. So maybe they can find a way to resurrect him or um, flashbacks. Of course, he's way older now, so you couldn't really have a flashback when Charlie Sheen's like 60. But um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how that all goes. So that is your update on pal of Billy the Kid, I guess, boss of Billy the Kid for sure, Dick Brewer, who met his end, the other end of a Springfield rifle fired by Buckshot Roberts, Blazers Mills, April 4th, 1878, New Mexico Territory. We'll see you again for whatever comes next, assuming I have a voice. And uh, so far, it seems to be holding up pretty good. Hopefully, it was not too distracting for you with the little ribbit frog stuff. And so we'll hear you. We'll hear you. You'll hear me, I guess. Next time on All Things Billy, where we talk about, no surprise, All Things Billy, the kid. Bye.